We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. 2 Peter chapter 2, and, and today we're going to cover verses 4 through 11, and, and you really need your Bible. This is kind of a tough passage to uh, outline um, because he kind of goes back and forth in different places, but um, let's read the whole thing and then we'll come back and, and we'll break it down just a little bit here. In Second Peter 2, beginning in verse 4, he, he says this, he says, For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to reserve for judgment and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly and delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked, for that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Now that to me is kind of like a run-on sentence. It's a really long a sentence to get to this point. He says there in verse 4, Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. Now that's the, that's the principle that we're going to be breaking down today. Verse 9, how the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. And then he says in verse 10, and especially those who walk according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise authority. They are presumptuous, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries, whereas angels who are greater in power and might do not bring a reviling accusation against them before the Lord. Now, I don't know if you're new to Calvary Chapel, uh, but if you are, you might be wondering, you know, how does it work? Like, how does he know what to teach? I mean, does, does this kind of come up? He's just say, I want to teach about this. And, and the answer, uh, of course, is no. What we do here is we just teach through the Bible. You know, we try to work our way from Genesis to Revelation. And, uh, and we've actually come to a, a pretty tough passage today in Second Peter chapter 2. And like I said, in a nutshell, the principle is found there in verse 9, that the Lord will deliver the godly and the Lord will punish the ungodly. You know, the godly are the Christians. How many of you here today are Christians? Okay, you guys are the godly. You guys are the righteous. You guys are the just. And the promise we're going to see today is God will deliver you. God will deliver you. It's a beautiful promise for us who are Christians. And if you're here today and you're not a Christian or you're not really interested, maybe you know someone dragged you here or you just somehow made it, but it's not really in your heart, then the, the promise on the flip side is that God will judge you. God will judge you. He knows how to punish the ungodly. You know, and it's a heavy lesson. It really is. I mean, for me, when I was thinking about the reality of hell and the reality of the, the lake of fire and the reality of judgment, um, it, it makes me even want to reach out more, you know. 
I mean, uh, this year we were going over the calendar for 2016, and uh, we were, I just told Henry we got to do a lot more outreaches. And so we got seven dates on the calendar that we were considering to be outreaches because you know you don't you don't want people to be lost. You don't want them to go to hell. We got to do everything we can to pull them out of the fire. And and study like this, it really reemphasizes that you know to us. I mean, the last time we were here, it was a while back in Second Peter. We covered verses 1 through 3 in chapter 2. And that was a warning from God regarding false teachers, you know. And there's going to be these guys out there. They're going to want to stir you the wrong way. So be very careful. Know your Bible. Know the Lord. Because let me tell you, they're subtle. They're, they're sneaky. Uh, Satan is a snake. He's a deceiver, right? And so there was a warning from God. But we move now from the warning of God. First of all, we're going to look at the judgment of God today. And we're going to see three examples. Number one, the angels who sinned, they were judged. Number two, the ancient world of Noah's day, they were judged. And then number three, Sodom and Gomorrah, and, and they were judged as well. And so, you know, some people, it's kind of weird. They, they think that judgment is just an ancient fabrication or fantasy. They don't really see the reality of judgment. They mistakenly think that God would never do such a thing, that a loving God would never judge the world. And they are thinking that God perhaps has what they would call empty threats. But, but Peter says, no, that's not true. God will judge the ungodly, and I'm warning you. And if you don't believe me, look at how he's already judged in the past. And he begins, first of all, with the, there in verse 4, for if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. Let me ask you a question. Where did demons come from? Where did demons come from? A lot of people, they believe in demons. Sometimes they even worship Satan and his host of demons. Where did they come from? They're fallen angels who were judged by God. You know, Peter starts with the angels who rebelled. I, I believe Peter's writing to warn the rebels, if they get a hold of this, hopefully they'll take it to heart. And Peter is writing to encourage the righteous to stay on track, right? There were false teachers who were, um, we're going to see as we go through this chapter, prophets uh, for profit. They were in it for what they could get out of it. They were stirring up a tremendous amount of trouble, talking, smack, spreading lies, getting rich off the poor. And Peter writes this letter to make it clear, no, the Lord will punish them. He will punish the unjust. And it doesn't matter how high they might be. I mean, here we see that God dealt with the angels who sinned. Not only were they cast out of heaven, but they have reservations for an even greater judgment to come. And when we think of these angels right here, um, you know, I think, first of all, we think of the leader of the rebellion. His name was Lucifer. When we read his story in Isaiah 14, 12 through 15, and Ezekiel 28, 11 through 19. You guys probably know that Lucifer was the anointed cherub. Some say he was the worship leader in heaven. Others believe him to be one of only three uh, archangels. And Warren Wiersbe said this, it would appear that Lucifer was God's deputy in charge of the angelic hosts. 
but that his pride made him grasp after the very throne of God. He said, I will ascend. Uh, and he wanted to rise and to be like God. And so what happened was Satan fell. And when he fell, one third of the angels fell with him. We read something like that in Revelation 12, verse 3 and 4. It says, And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his heads. And his tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them down to the earth. And what that is, you guys, is that Satan's sin was cast out of heaven and one third of the angelic hosts fell with him and they became demons destined for ultimate judgment. You know, and, and it's, it, for me, it's like it's, it's, it strikes a fearful thing into my heart. It, it places an urgency within me to want to go out and to, and to reach out because judgment is real. You know, look what he did to the angels. You know, in one sense, look what they did to themselves. Because huh? everybody has the choice. The angels had the choice. They saw the glory of God. You know, the interesting thing when you read the scriptures about the fall of Satan is he didn't even say it. It was in his heart. In his heart, the Bible says that he said, I will, I will, I will. Five times God saw the heart and God judged him. You know, when the Bible says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. You know, I, I don't know what God that you believe in. A lot of times people like to make up the God or, you know, I read this one book. I remember it's called Love Wins. And this guy says that eventually everybody goes to heaven. But that's not what the Bible teaches. That's not the God of the Bible. That's not the way he's revealed himself. He is the God who knows how to punish the unjust. Not only do we have that initial fall of angels, but here Peter is most likely referring to something else, to demons who crossed another line, and this time within the human realm. Some say that prior to the flood, these particular demons, this is weird, you guys, I don't know if you've ever heard this, but that they possessed men who then bred with the women of that day and produced a, a kind of like a half-breed. Uh, in the Hebrew, it's called the Nephilim. In English, they're called giants. And you read the Bible. You read and you go back to Genesis chapter 6. For example, in verse 1 and 2, it says, It came to pass when men began to multiply in the face of the earth and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves, of all whom they chose. And, and, and it's kind of interesting. Again, we, we can't be dogmatic, but it makes a lot of sense because when you read the Bible, you know that the title Sons of God often refers to angels and demons. I mean, you go over to Job chapter 1, verse 6, and it talks about that. And apparently, these demons crossed another line so that they are no longer roaming the earth, not these ones. They are down in hell in chains of darkness awaiting further judgment you know jude also writes about them in chapter 1 verse 6 and the angels who did not keep their proper domain that's kind of what he's talking about they left their own abode the bible says god has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day and so they went beyond their dominion. They somehow transgressed deeply into the human abode 
the world at that time had grown so dark that they undoubtedly opened doors somehow to these demons. And it's for that reason primarily that God judged the world in the flood. And so, you know, it, it's really fascinating. It's, it's crazy when you see the depths of the depravity that we can sink to. And in one sense, because God is holy, he's in, in one sense forced to judge. And so just in case you're here and you're thinking, well, God, he won't judge. He don't judge. Yes, he does. Look at the angels for one. Um, look, secondly, at verse 5, at the ancient world. And, and he did not spare the ancient world. Now this takes us back to Genesis chapter 6 and 7 and 8. This is the flood. How many of you guys saw the movie? Just out of curiosity. You're like, I saw the movie. Well, hopefully you uh, read the story in the Bible, man. Because uh, that, uh, that one's legit. Genesis 6, 5 through 7. Let me read it to you. It says, And the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping things and birds of the air, for I am sorry, he said, that I have made them. You know, I mean, and it's just, an, it's just a tragedy the way that we would, the way that society of that day turned their backs on the God who made them. You know, I was talking to my son on the way over here, and, and we, were, we were, later on, we're going to get into this thing about these guys. It, it, it was a self-will. It was a self-will. I don't care that you made me. I don't care that you love me. I don't care that you redeem me. I don't care that, you know, you're the one that keeps my heart beating every single time. I'm going to do what I want to do. And that, that's really the, the, the crux of it. I was telling him, that's really the heart of sin. There's pride and there's self-will. And that was the condition of the society then and more and more, it's becoming the condition of the society now. And, 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 and therefore, God, he had to, to judge. Sure enough, for 40 days and 40 nights, the floodgates of the waters were opened from heaven above and earth below, and the, and the whole wide world was judged. You know, one of the interesting things about missions is if you go out into any society today, any culture, any tribes, you know, you go out and you, you know, you do a little research, people that have never been reached, the unreached people groups, and when you reach them, one of the things that you find that is a common denominator all around the world is they all have a flood story. They all do, because the flood was a worldwide event, catastrophic. Everybody knows about it. I mean, it's etched in history. And what Peter is saying is that God, you know, he does judge. He knows how to judge. He's done it before. He judged the angels. It doesn't matter how high. He, he, he judged the whole wide world. How did he do that? I don't know exactly how he did it, but he knows how he did it, and he knows how to do it again and how to judge the unjust. Not just the fallen angels, but fallen humans. Not just a certain section in heaven, but across the whole wide world. 
And Warren Wiersbe said, no doubt there were plenty of experts who laughed at Noah and assured the people that the rainstorm was out of the question. Had anyone ever seen one? And the answer was no. You know, you got the guys on TV today. How, you guys ever listen to the weatherman? My wife saw it. It's, it's, what, it was in Dallas. Dallas, you know, he said this, right? In Channel 7 uh, weather. And they're, they're right a lot of times, you know. And so here they are, Noah saying it's going to flood, it's going to rain. And, and they're like, what's rain? It's never rain. You know, you're crazy. The experts thought he was crazy. But then the day came, you see. I mean, they had never seen it. But Noah warned them, it calls him a preacher of righteousness here, for at least 120 years. Think about that. How long have you been warned? For years you've been warned. And you think, well, God hasn't done anything yet. I mean, that's what they were saying in Noah's day. 120 years he was warning them. Eventually the clouds gathered and they grew dark and then a drop of water fell and then another and then another and then sprinkle turned to rain and then the rain turned to torrents of rain from above and below from every direction and they were swept away forever because they didn't believe God. I mean, that was the warning. It's interesting how we read there in, in verse 8. It says that the practice of homosexuality was labeled as lawless. I mean, you go through these things and you find what Noah did and we're going to see that God is the one who, man, he sees the things that are going on. And we can relate to that even today. You know, we look back at God's track record and we discover the judgment of the angels and the judgment of the ancient world and then the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah. There in verse 6, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly. You know, of course we know it's not just the angels. It's humans, right? And it's not always the whole wide world. Sometimes it's a certain city or cities. In this case, it was Sodom and Gomorrah who's Infamous sin was that of homosexuality. And, you know, you read the account in Genesis chapter 19. I encourage you guys to to read that. And then you go over to Jude, only one chapter, verse 7, we're told that it was sexual immorality they were uh, guilty of. It says that it was strange sex, strange sexual Immorality, and the Bible says that was taking place. And you read the story, and the men of Sodom were pounding on the door of Lot's house because they wanted to have sex with the angels who had appeared to them as men. And and what was going on? You know, same thing we see today, right? I mean, I know it's not uh, socially or politically correct, but. The truth is that the acceptance of homosexuality within a society is a sign that God's judgment is on its way. And in one sense, it's already begun. It's kind of like you're going to go somewhere. You guys know how it is and you're, you know, whatever, you know, like you're going to, uh, I better not say anywhere because, um, I don't know, you're going to Anaheim 20, year, 20 miles away, five miles away, you know, one mile away, next exit or whatever it is. You know, and it's like when you see the blatant homosexuality, that's God's sign saying, 
I mean, we're, we're close. I mean, we're at the door, right? I mean, not that we in any way do not love those who say they're gay. We love them, right, guys? We love them with God's love, though, not man's love. I mean, some people think that love is, well, just let them do what they want to do. Let them kind of act out how they feel. It doesn't really matter what God says. But that's not, that's not love, right? And we can't form our convictions or ethics or families. We don't determine what's right or wrong based on our own opinions or what society has to say, what's popular, right? As Christians, we believe that the one who determines what's right and wrong is God. And to me, that makes a lot of sense. And God is the one who instituted the family with a father and a mother because the children need both of them. You know, it's interesting how we read here in verse 8 that the practice of homosexuality was labeled as lawless. Look again there at verse 8. For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Now, the interesting thing about that is that this is before the law. This is prior to the law. So how was it a lawless deed? Well, perhaps it's, uh, you know, Peter here saying that, you know, I don't know, that he knew in the future that it would be illegal according to God's word. But, but really, it, the answer is it's lawless because it's contrary to nature. Even nature itself tells you that it's lawless. We read that in Romans 1, 26 through 27. It says, For this reason God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men, committing what is shameful, and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. I mean, it's just not natural. I mean, you can't deny it. It's lawless. And this right here, what we see is God is just saying, people are like today, they're like, well, you know, I look back in 2015 and I remember the image of when the White House was lit up with rainbow colors, Manny. You guys, I saw that image the other day and there's the White House and our country lit up with rainbow colors because they're all happy that, you know, now gay marriage is across and sweeping across the nation. It's legal. Nothing you can do about it. God didn't do anything about it. Well, God did do something that day. He wept. He wept that day because it's a sign that he's got to judge us. And we're going to see that the way that it works out is that the church is going to get raptured out and God's going to judge the world. And you guys, I just pray that we wouldn't, we wouldn't forget this, man. We live in a nation that not only tolerates it but celebrates it and not that that sin is necessarily worse than any others right but it is a revelation that we've crossed certain lines you see the world that that we have today they don't fear god when they should you know um and and so looking at our text and i know it's a heavy thing but man we got the warning from god 
um, due to the judgment of God, right? And you're like, Manny, I wanted to have a good year, and you're making me all depressed now. And, and let me just say this, okay? But God does not want to judge you. You're here today, and you're like, well, you know, God's going to judge me. Well, he doesn't want to. He doesn't want to judge anyone. We're going to see later in chapter 3, verse 9, God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But you've got to choose, but you don't make the rules. So, you know, don't get depressed. The, the next point is kind of cool. We move now from the warning of God and the judgment of God to the deliverance of God. And we go back and, and look at verse 5. Um, he didn't spare the ancient world. But notice that verse 5, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness. I mean, God knows how to judge, but God knows also how to deliver. He knows how to sentence, but the cool thing is he also knows how to save. And to me, that is just beautiful to think that he knows how to save. You know, going back to the flood, we know that only Noah and, and Mrs. Noah, and then you know, their three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and their three wives, there were eight of them, right? They were saved. The, the whole rest of the world was sentenced, but they were saved. You know, and, and in one sense, I was thinking about this, you guys. You know, we're saved. I, hopefully, all of you are, you know, I mean, most of us anyways, but we're such a small minority, huh? The real, the people who really know the Lord. Man, praise God, though, that we are. And I love what we read in the book of Genesis, chapter 6. When you read the whole story, in verse 8, it says, But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. I mean, man, what a beautiful passage. Grace. You know, it's not in reference to a lady. You know, it's not in reference to what you say before you eat your meal, necessarily. It's in reference to that undeserved favor with the Father, that grace is forgiveness from God, even though we don't deserve it, right? We can now be referred to as the godly, even though we still have those moments and we fall short and we still sin. We're, we're saved, even though we blow it, we're still on that road, this leads to heaven, and the reason is because we've placed our faith in Jesus Christ. We believe in Him, that He died for our sins on the cross, that He rose again the third day. A very simple message. As Christians, we have placed our faith in the finished work of the cross. We trust Him, and so we're saved. I mean, to me, that is so cool, how God knows how to save. And now, and now, you know, here we are, and we're perfect, huh? Right? You guys never sin anymore, right? No, you still do. <laughs> you know, positionally, we're perfect, but practically, we're not, right? I mean, let me ask you a question. Was Noah now perfect after this? Not at all. As a matter of fact, that's the whole background to his name. I don't know if you guys knew how he got his name. People wonder at the one who survived the worldwide flood and they ask about this guy, was he perfect after that? And we have to say, no. Uh, let me tell you a little bit about Noah, you know. <laughs> I mean, that's where he got his name. He wasn't perfect, right? 
I mean, I, I almost hesitate to tell you that, you know, after this whole thing happened, what, imagine that man being delivered out of the flood and, you know, you got all the animals and God saved you and your wife and your kids and you're going to think, well, I'll never sin again. But the Bible talks about how when he went and he got drunk and he was naked and then, you know, he got upset with his son. I mean, he woke up and cursed his son. He still sinned. He, he lost his sobriety. He, he lost his clothes. He lost his temper. But he didn't lose his salvation. He found grace. And that's, that's, that happens to us. Oh, I mean, we, we fall short. And I'm not making light of it. But you got to know the gospel. That God knows how to deliver the righteous. God knows how to save even a sinner like us. It's up to you, though. you got to choose. Do you want Jesus or no? And he'll honor your decision. You see, God knows how to sentence, but he knows how to save. God knows how to judge, but he also knows how to justify. Noah is a great example. I think Lot might even be a better example. Look at, at verse 7, and delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked for that notice he calls him a righteous man two times dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their their lawless deeds you know i mean it, it rained down water in noah's day it rained down fire in lot's day but the cool thing is lot also was delivered it's interesting when you read the book of genesis it kind of gives a lot of credit to abraham who interceded for Lot. You read Genesis chapter 18, and, and Abraham was like, Lord, you're not going to destroy the, the, the righteous with the wicked, and how about if there's just, you know, and he just goes down to 10, and apparently there wasn't 10. And, and, but Abraham really stood in the gap and prayed for his nephew, Lot. And just as a quick side note, I encourage you to keep praying for, for your loved ones. Keep praying for them, because it really does make a huge difference. And Genesis seems to be that that was the difference, Right? But here we discover that Lot was delivered because he was righteous. And that means that he was a believer. It doesn't mean that he was a behavior necessarily. He definitely had some problems. He was uh, what we would probably consider to be a carnal Christian. But the main thing is that he was a Christian, right? And, and it just means that he was saved. He was forgiven. He had the righteousness of Christ imputed to his account. In Genesis 18, Abraham was asking the Lord about any righteous people in Sodom, then apparently Lot and his family were the only ones, right? And as a matter of fact, we even read there in verse 8 that, that that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. And, and you know, and here you find the situation that Noah's in and God, God you know, took him above this whole thing and then, and then Lot... And God took him out. But while he was there, there's more of a message here. Not just taking us out, but helping us overcome when we are there in the middle of all that temptation. You know, I mean, it, it, I don't know about you, but I look around, it's hard, you know, for me, you know, to see the things that we see with our eyes and to hear the things that, you know, we hear with our ears. As a guy, I don't know if any of you guys can relate to me, but if not, you're probably dead, but... I mean, you know, you got the sexual images everywhere, everywhere. I mean, and you know, you're just whatever, you're checking your emails or you're looking at the news or, 
you know, you're driving on the freeway and it's like, boom, there's, uh, they're after you there and there's that girl over there and there's that image over there and, it, and you see all these things and it's like, man, you know, it, it just, it should, it should grieve you. It should almost, it's almost like torment. That's what he says right there. You know, don't put yourself in situations. You don't enter into those things purposely. But we live in this world now, and it's like, it's like bombarding us, right? It's tough. I mean, it's tough. You know, for those of you guys, and you work in your jobs, and you're hearing some of the profanities and the way that they're using Jesus' name in vain. I mean, that should we don't let, don't ever be desensitized to that and just think it's not a, a big deal. It should be a huge deal. Don't ever let it, you know, slip as, oh, it's not a big thing. This is the world that we live in. But you want to know something? Man, you can still be pure in the midst of perversity. You can still be like a a Daniel in in Babylon or, or an Esther, you know, in Persia. You can still be right on. That's kind of what he's saying right here. God knows how to deliver the righteous. He'll take care of us there, even though it's hard sometimes. You know, you just, you just get your eyes on the Lord. You have a heart, though, I want to please you, Lord, and he'll help you. He'll help you through all that, right? As believers, we must not lose heart. It's, if it's our desire, we need to know that God will deliver us from temptation and God will deliver us from damnation. That's kind of what he's saying right here. The two things, no matter how bad it gets. It's cool, huh? I mean, we look at Noah, we look at Lot, and we travel from the warning of God and the judgment of God and the deliverance of God to then this principle of God. Again, there in verse 9, then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. Just in case you're thinking, you know, I don't know if the Lord is going to do this. I don't know if He knows how to do this. Oh yeah, He does. He knows how. Right? Don't lose heart. One day, justice will be served and every wrong will be made right. In the meantime, for those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus, grace is served day after day after day because the Lord knows how to deliver the godly. We will make it through. And in all these things, we're not just going to make it through. We will be more than conquerors through him who loves us. And then one day we'll wake up and we'll be home in heaven because the Lord knows how to deliver the godly And the Lord knows how to reserve the unjust for that day of punishment. You see, don't be discouraged, you guys. Don't lose heart. Don't give up. I mean, I I read these stories. uh, I don't know if, you know, recently there's a story about these guys that broke into, you know, some, you know, pastor's house. He wasn't there. He was working out. His wife was there. Do you guys, I I mean, you almost hate to talk about it and, and the guy goes in and, and he, I don't know, things happen. She, she gets murdered. I mean, rape, incest, all these things that are going on in the world that we live in. And, 
And you might sometimes feel like Asaph did in Psalm 73. He said, I don't get it. Lord, these guys are getting away with all this stuff. And, and they seem to prosper. And then they, just, they get rich and they die. And like nothing bad happens to them. And, and here I am trying to serve you. And it just, I don't know, Lord. It, it, I'm going through hard times. And then in, in Psalm 73, in, in verse 16 and 17, he says, When I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me until I went into the sanctuary of God and then I understood their end. You see, none of this makes sense unless God knows how to deliver the godly and God knows how to bring justice to the unjust. And that's when everything comes together. You know, if you're here today and you're going through hard times, I want to encourage you to take heart in, in Psalm 34, let's turn there real quick. Psalm 34, in, in verse 15, it, it says that the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are, are open to their cry. You know, the righteous, again, is the saved. I, I think he's talking about the imputed righteousness of Christ. His eyes are on you. He sees you. He knows exactly what you're going through. His eyes are on you and his ears, they hear you. They hear you. God hears you when you pray. Not, not necessarily, you know, little prayers. These are like more like cries. He hears you when you cry, right? It says, The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. Make no mistake about it. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears, and notice, delivers them out of all their troubles. He'll deliver you. What kind of trouble are you going through today? You just got to pray. You got to cry out to Him. You got to seek Him. You know, if you're here today and you're going through troubles, but you haven't got on your face yet, you haven't got on your knees yet, then I just want to encourage you to do that. You're going through trials, you're going through tribulations, you're going through temptations. Get on your knees. Start crying out to God. And if you have been crying out to God, then I'll tell you what, in His perfect timing, I'm telling you this, the answer is already on its way. Because the promise is here. He says right here, I, I will deliver them, right? I mean, he delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near, it says, to those who have a broken heart and saves such as have a contrite spirit. You know, we, we, we're hurting, and, and, the, and the broken hearts, they're real. I mean, they're real, right? But God is near, and God is carrying you through those hard times, and he will rescue us in these things. And so it's so cool to know that that's the God that we serve. I was thinking about the study today, and, and it was such a hard thing to kind of, you know, outline nice and neat, but just in a nutshell, it's like just getting to know who God is and how God is. He's a holy God. Uh, he's a loving God. And He will judge the wicked. 
but he will redeem and save and rescue the righteous. And it's so cool to know that, right? I mean, is it worth it to serve the Lord? Definitely it is. You know, these guys right here, unfortunately, Peter's going to deal with them even more as we go through this chapter. But they, unfortunately, were on that way to judgment. And it says there in verse 10, and especially those who walk according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise authority. They are presumptuous, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries. And, you know, it's weird, you guys. It's weird. But a lot of times, you got guys, it could be a priest, it could be a pastor, it could be someone in some type of spiritual position, and they just, they it's the flesh, and it's not really the Lord. And these guys, I mean, you find out, you know, this guy over here, he was a pastor of a, of a church, and while his wife is dying of cancer, he's sleeping with five women. I mean, you hear stories like that, priests molesting uh, little boys, my uncle was one of them, became an atheist. I mean, these guys, they're not real, right? You got guys on the TV, and we talked a little bit about this already. They're in it for the money. Some are in it for the power. I was talking to my son. Again, it's the girls, the glory, and the gold. It's those, these guys, they're in it for the wrong reasons. They're not real shepherds. And, it, and it's just crazy. I mean, I think of, and you guys, we can think of so many people. Another pastor over here, He's sleeping with his, with his son's girlfriend. Another one over there, you know, the worship leader and this guy, they get together. And what does this do to the family? I mean, these are false teachers. And it's crazy because it's still rampant in the church. It doesn't mean that Jesus is not real. It doesn't mean that there aren't some who are real. But it, it just makes us really... Uh, it breaks our hearts. But the Lord said this, because we've seen these things happen, and sometimes they've been way too close to home. And God says, oh, unless they repent, I'm going to judge them. I'm going to judge them. And I always pray that these guys that are doing such ugly things, they would see this and the fear of God will come into their hearts and it's not just pastors or guys in positions of leadership it's anybody who claims to be a Christian anybody doing these crazy things look at the way they were I mean these guys right here they're walking according to the flesh the lust of uncleanness they despise authority presumptuous self-willed they're not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries, the wickedness of their walk and their ways and their words. Sexual sin is because of the flesh and the lust of uncleanness. Rebellious sin is because they despise authority. Open and blatant sin is because they're presumptuous. And the root of their sin is because they're self-willed. And, and to think that they're claiming to be Christians, even exalting themselves to you know, positions, and it made no sense. I mean, it, this makes no sense whatsoever, the way they were walking and, and, and talking, which brings us to that last verse there in verse 11, whereas angels who are greater in power and might do not bring a reviling accusation against them before the Lord. 
I mean, apparently it says right there they were not afraid in verse 10 to speak evil of dignitaries. Apparently they were bringing these accusations. They were speaking evil of dignitaries. Now some say maybe it's angels. Others even say maybe it's God. But most people believe that what they're talking about right here at this juncture is that they were speaking evil of those who were in God-ordained positions of church leadership. In this case, someone like Peter, the apostles, you know, things like that, right? And there are some people like that. I mean, Peter says the angels are greater in power and might, but they don't bring accusations and talk disrespectfully of their inferiors. Why then do the false teachers talk disrespectfully against their superiors? And it just made, to him, it made absolutely no sense. That's not the way we're supposed to be. Why do they talk? Why do they say what they say? Well, they say what they say because they think that they can get away with what they say. And, and the, but the day will come when they will pay for every idle word, the Bible says in Matthew 12, verse 36. So be careful what you say. Be careful. And the Bible says in Exodus 22, verse 28, you shall not, Revile God, nor curse a ruler of your people. You know, at the end of the day, some mistakenly think that God will not judge. I just think it's good to get a clear understanding of who and how God is, not according to our word, but according to His. He doesn't take pleasure in judgment of the wicked, but the judgment of the wicked will take place. I mean, He would much rather deliver us And if you're here today and you don't know the Lord, you've never really called upon His name, I pray that today you would, that you would call upon the name of Jesus, right? Because how would you rather face Jesus? Let's just say you go to the zoo, just out of curiosity. You guys ever go to the zoo? It's probably been a while. And you have have two options. Like The guy says, okay, you can go into two cages. Which one do you want to go into? The lion's cage or the lamb's cage? Which one Which one would you choose? I'll bet you almost anything that most of us here say, I'd like to go pet the little lamb over there, you know? Because if you go toe-to-toe with the lion, I'm sorry, I don't care how, how strong you are as a man, you will be devoured. Well, that's the reality of the way Jesus has come. He came the first time as a Savior. He came the first time as the lamb. Embrace him. Call upon his name. Acknowledge your need for him. Because if you don't, I promise you, you will face him as a lion. He doesn't want that to happen. And so what do you need to do? You need to bow your your knees. You need to confess that Jesus is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. I don't know if you guys ever watched that program, uh, Judge Judy. Do you guys ever see that? I haven't seen it in a while, but from what I understand, it comes on CBS Monday through Friday from 4 to 4.30. Let's watch it tomorrow. But <laughs> Tony Evans, he, uh, he uses this illustration. Now, every case in Judge Judy, it starts with two people who are at odds. They can't get together. They can't fix their problem. There's lots of problems that make it into Judge Judy's court. But the plaintiff and the defendant, they lay out their complaints and concerns and Judge Judy hears their arguments. Everyone understands, however, that once Judge Judy rules, the participants must abide by her ruling, right? Now, you know, when you watch the show, everybody doesn't necessarily leave Judge Judy's courtroom happy, but 
Her responsibility is not happiness, it's justice. It's not to please the people involved, the participants in the courtroom or the viewers on national television. No. And, and, and the same is true with God. You see, God's goal is not to make everyone happy. In fact, he gets quite a few complaints, right? The, the bottom line, however, is that God is the ultimate judge. His word is final. And, and, you know, I don't know. I mean, you may never make it into Judge Judy's presence. You can go online and try if you want to. But you will make it into Judge Jesus' presence. And I pray, you guys, that as we give our life for him, as we yield our life to him, that, that we would be ready not only, you know, uh, to be saved. I, I think that, you know, most of you here are but hopefully one day even at the Bema seat, huh? When we stand before him there, my prayer is that we will be rewarded because of his grace and, and the faithfulness that he has worked in you and through you. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626 Four five four, three four one four. Remember that Jesus loves you.